The opinions expressed in the following program are those of the producer and not necessarily those of WKTV Community Media. Family-owned Palermo Pizza underwrites this episode of Grand Rapids Ghost Hunters Paranormal Podcast, located at 901 Gazan Parkway, Southwest Wyoming, and available at 616-531-8300. The church bells chimed till it rang 29 times for each man on the Edmund Fitzgerald. In a musty old hall in Detroit, they prayed in the Maritime Sailors Cathedral. The legend lives on from Chippewa on down of the big lake they call Gitchigumi. The lake, it is said, never gives up her dead when the skies of November turn gloomy. The ship was the pride of the American side, coming back from the same mill in Wisconsin. Later that night, when the ship's bell rang, could it be the north wind they'd been a-feeling? The searchers all say they have made Whitefish Bay if they put 15 more miles behind her. Does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn minutes into hours? All that remains is the faces and names of wives and sons and daughters. The legend lives on from Chippewa on down of the big lake called Gichigumi. Superior, they said, never gives up her dead when the gales of November come early. In a musty old hall in Detroit, they prayed in the Maritime Sailors Cathedral. The church bells chimed till it rang 29 times for each man on the Edmund Fitzgerald. Okay. Start the intro, or uh... I'm letting these bells ring. Brought to you by WKTV, I'm Wayne Thomas. Welcome to the 44th episode of Grand Rapids Ghost Hunters Paranormal Podcast. As always, we ask that you please keep an open mind about things that you might not easily believe as we explore the mysterious. Our featured guest is very mysterious. She is an author of several books, an award-winning journalist, cryptozoologist, lead investigator of Michigan chapter of North American Dogman Project. She runs her own podcast, Into the Liminal Abyss. That's a tricky one. Has her own paranormal investigating team. She teaches and lectures on flying cryptids, Bigfoot, and lake monsters. Before we jump into the deep end, let's check in with my co-host. He's an incredible paranormal resource, 
We've investigated over 100 locations together. My friend, Brandon Jose. Oh, hi, everybody. Well, we tried this a week ago. Didn't exactly, <laughs> we had a good show. Too bad we didn't record it. Too bad the, yeah. somebody didn't push the button to record it. So we're gonna do it a little different this time. So there's no sense of doing the same show over because now Shatan has been to Bigfoot Discovery Days. And Brandon has been to the Paranormal Summit on uh, the two ships. Brandon, what are those two ships? It was the SS City of Milwaukee and uh, the Coast Guard ship Acadia. So we're looking. Yeah, we want to hear about that. But first, I think we should start with our featured guest and hear about how her weekend went. You know, I did point out that you are an award-winning journalist. Yes. Yes, you did. So you can expand on that a little bit. I see it's right there in the background. Yes, actually it is. So I am the managing writer for a magazine company called Squatch GQ. And under that uh, company, we have six different magazines, including uh, the namesake, uh, Squatch GQ magazine, Squatch Digest magazine, Watchers Magazine, which is based on UFOs and aliens, uh, anything to do with outer space. G Hunter Magazine, which is ghosts and the paranormal, haunted locations. Um, and then we have Bodine, um, which is a fun magazine um, featuring the, the adventures and travels of Bodine the Bigfoot. Um, he was up at West Branch this weekend. I saw you had, with Bodine time uh he was running around getting pictures taken with everyone including he got into somebody's wedding photo that was just like beyond me um uh, the bridesmaids actually came over grabbed him and were like we need you in in these photos um so we've got squatch uh gq we've got squatch digest watchers magazine uh g hunters magazine uh which is ghosts in the paranormal and then we were, are developing a magazine on weird travels. Um, we've got the Bodine magazine, and then we will also be developing a book on, or a magazine on dinosaurs and prehistoric creatures um, that we will hopefully get out later this summer. So um, lots of different titles, um, and I write for all of them. And so I am the 2020 and 2021 writer of the year. For Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I'm proud. I'm proud to know you. You're a very ambitious person. <laughs> I think you're an inspiration to young women out there that you know are thinking about getting started in this. You're a good example of what hard work will pay off. Thank so, you. Yeah, I love it. And you're one of our favorite guests. Maybe I'm not supposed to say that, like having a favorite child, maybe. I don't know. But Brandon, Brandon knows. You're one of our favorite persons to have on the show. That's why we like to have you back uh, every Halloween because you are extra spooky. You also have an investigating team. Is that the Michigan Center for Unexplained Events? Is that still going? You know, I, I do have that team, but I am also I've also become a member of several other teams. So um, I'm not just on one team anymore. I, I actually go... I go where the stories uh, take me. So um, wherever the investigation goes, that's where I'm headed. And um, 
I belong to a lot of different teams, including Lost Cryptids Conservancy, um, uh, Blackwater, uh, Par or, yeah, Blackwater Paranormal in Northwest uh, Ohio. Um, my own team of uh, the Great Lakes Center for uh, Paranormal um, Research and Phenomenon. So I get um, get to go a lot of places and investigate with a lot of different people, which is good because different experiences um, always provide a, a different story. Oh, yeah. I never know where you're going to take us. That's what I like <laughs> about. Yeah, that's what I like. And if I keep my mouth closed long enough, I learn something every time I talk with you. You're also doing your podcast into the liminal abyss. Yes. Yeah. So. There is the podcast and then there's the YouTube show. So my podcast is Into the Liminal Abyss Paranormal Podcast. It is a show that's featured on uh, Anchor for the Paranormal Soul um, on Blog Talk Radio. And then on YouTube, I have uh, Shatan Noir Presents Into the Liminal Abyss Weird Travels. But you can find that under just the title of uh, Into the Liminal Abyss. And that is where I take people along on investigations as I videotape um, the actual investigations and interviews with owners of the properties, historians of the property, and other investigators who have had previous experiences at that location. So there's two episodes up right now. Um, I have a third that I'm working on. Uh, hopefully we'll get it done within the next week or so, because after that, um, lots more footage is going to come because I'll be in Gettysburg, uh, Lake Champlain, um, Vermont, New York, Pennsylvania, and uh, I'll be doing a lot of different locations. So uh, those will all be documented and articles, stories written about them, but also video um, travels on those. Do you, do you attend the Mothman? I've been to Mothman um, once. And that was a couple of years ago, right before I um, published my book on Mothman. Um, and then it was the next year it was um, closed down for COVID. This year they are hoping to run, but that is still a question mark in the, the air uh, because it's a huge event. There are thousands of people there and I'm just not sure how they're going to social distance and keep the numbers down so that there's not a huge outbreak. So. Um, don't really know if that event's going to run, but I'm booked for a different event that weekend. So, well, um, I will be, uh, going somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely stay busy <laughs> on your podcast into the liminal abyss. You covered like a ride of variety mm -hmm. of different, are you still looking for people to interview? I know. I'm always, I am always looking for people to interview. Usually what I do is I'll inter I'll do like 10 interviews over the course of three days. And so that's 10 weeks of podcasts. And then I edit them, send them to the producer of uh, the radio station. And then it's his problem. <laughs> um, and he just lets me know which, which episode is going to air um, which week. And then I can let the guests know and, and post it on my social media. So I've, I found that with my schedule, that is usually the best way for me to go um certainly you know with, with time constraints and uh voice you know because my voice only lasts so long um all right and one of my podcasts are usually an hour each so that's like 10 hours of talking uh 
you know, and usually it's like four hours straight with only a few minutes in between each podcast. Um, so when I'm taping, it's, it's, I do them all at once. And then 10 weeks later, I'll, I'll do it all over again. I see. Are you right in the middle of teaching your Actually, I class? just said today was my, my last class for this session. Um, I teach at Kellogg Community College, both at the Battle Creek campus and the Hastings uh, campus. And um, this session just closed. It was uh, Legends and Folklore of the Great Lakes. Uh, then I teach beginning in July, I will teach two different courses down at Owens Community College in Perrysburg, Ohio, and that will be um, the paranormal history of the Great Lakes, and then cryptozoology of North America, and then I'll be back at Kellogg Community College teaching in September and October. Yeah, you're almost close enough for me to take some classes. I would too. I show up and they think I'm the teacher, even when I was taking classes long ago at Western and JC. You you mentioned Mothman. This is one of the books that you've published. Yep. Mothman and other flying creatures of the Midwest. When I read your books, I digest them thoroughly. <laughs> I highlight, I write notes in the sides. And then Lake Monsters in Odd Creatures of the Great Lakes. This is this one. I, I want to talk about both of these later on. Okay. We got other things we're going to cover first. Okay. Like what you did this weekend. <laughs> and then would you want to, do you have your other book, uh, the children's book handy? Um actually, let me let me zoom up out on the wall. Side. So if everyone can see that purple uh, book yep. behind me. Yep, I see that it. That is the marvelous misadventures of Tegan Gray. And it's a children's series book um hopefully the second book will be coming out later this summer um the second book will feature uh lake monsters and the two younger dogs uh tegan's um almost one-year-old uh babies um because we're all going on the expedition to lake champlain and i figured what better place to get pictures for a lake monster book than lake champlain or the great lakes but i know that they've got like lots of different champ statues and stuff like that um, in various towns around Lake Champlain. So I figured, eh, we're, we're going to make this, you know, we're going to uh, add quite a bit to this. So um, that will be the second book in the series. But right now, the book that um, is available in the series is The Marvelous Misadventures of Tegan Gray, Tegan versus Bigfoot. Yeah, I met Tegan. I met the author here at the <laughs> studio. Yes. She brought with you a one for one podcast here. So that was kind of fun. She had puppies at the time. Yeah, and she did have she had the babies with her at that time. So right. they, have, they have since gotten a lot bigger. Um, they're very uh, they're very sweet, sassy puppies. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun um, doing this uh, photography with them and uh, getting their little surfboards and, and outfits on them. So uh, hopefully, it all works. You know, works really well. Yeah, I'm anxious to check those out. And then, like I say, this weekend. There was a couple of different events going on. You, you were at one. Brandon was at another one. You are yeah. at Bigfoot Discovery Days. Yep. Uh, with some of our friends over there, Linda Pomeranke. Um, who who Bill else? Shaw, Bill Shaw, our um, buddy. Um, Shelly Marie. Um, Bowden the Bigfoot, um, which I don't think you guys have met him yet, but he's, he's pretty cool. Um, yep. It was a great turnout. We had um, the other two guest speakers was Janet Carter. 
and Ron Moorhead. So um, some very good uh, presentations and had a great turnout, great weather, um, except the wind. The oh. wind was knocking, the wind was being very, very naughty. It was knocking over everyone's displays, including Bowdoin's. And uh, so we had to, had to tie some things down, but uh, it was a really good event and had just uh, a huge turnout, um, which was wonderful. And um, can't thank the, the West Branch Bigfoot people enough for putting on the event. It went smoothly and um, my presentation was about hiding in plain sight, how natural occurring species can use their coat colors, patterns and textures to hide in plain sight. And if a simple-minded tree frog can do it, then obviously a Bigfoot, a dogman or a mothman can, can use the same uh, natural abilities to camouflage themselves. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit last week and that was the first I had heard of that. Um, out of all the Bigfoot people that we talked with, no one had really brought up the fact that they can just blend right in, camouflage mm -hmm. themselves right in with their environment. Like you say, they're probably, their hair probably matches the color of their background, depending right. on whether they're in the swamp or up in the mountains mm -hmm. or grassy area. Yeah, that's very yeah, interesting. Yeah, and you know, I, I had lots of pictures with my presentations and people were really soaking it in that, okay, so there's a coyote in this picture, but can you see the coyote? Because the coyote's coat matches perfectly with the, with the bushy weeds and stuff around it because of the way that the, the winter coat is out, you know, it's the color pattern, the texture of the coat, the form of the coat is actually blending it right in with these winter bushes that are puffy and have the same appearance as the coyote's coat. So you're looking at this picture and you're like, oh yeah, there's a coyote right there. And, but people don't see this. Um, another picture that I had was, taken right outside uh, the back door and it was these moths that uh, were blending in perfectly with the color and texture of the wood on the wall. Oh yeah. Very light gray but they blended in perfectly and you would not know that these moths were there except for the fact that there were some that were a little bit darker but the lighter ones were blending in perfectly with the wood and you couldn't even see them and this happens all the time in nature people don't realize how many animals they walk by on a daily basis and don't even realize that they are there they just you know they're either looking at their phones or they're looking down at the ground or they're talking to somebody and people don't realize how many things they walk past um on a trail or you know even you know uh, along the roads, you know, in fields of creatures that just blend in with their surroundings. And this gives them ability to hide in plain sight and go without detection. Uh, okay. Very, very good at, uh, you know, evading human predators or other predators. Yeah. Owls. I've seen owls that look just like the bark. Yes. Oh, yes. Owls are very, very good at camouflaging in their natural surroundings. Um, some of them, the patterns of their 
of their uh, feathers match perfectly with the bark of trees. And except for the eyes, you know, the right. eyes blinking, you're like, whoa, something's there. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they blend right in and you can't even tell that they're there. Yeah. Rabbits, you know, uh, snowshoe rabbits ch change to white in the winter. So yes. they, they yep. match the snow. I can see uh, Bigfoot probably changing a little too with the seasons maybe or, or their, how their environment or, or changes. They, they, or they migrate, you know, they migrate to different habitats all year long so that they are in the best natural uh, habitats for their coat colors, for their way of life that they can be in. And this helps them uh, evade human detection. Yeah. Now, who were you most impressed with? Did you get to see some of the other speakers? Where I was set up with my, with my booth, I was only I want to say maybe 30 feet from the pavilion. So I was able to listen to Ron Moorhead's presentation, some of Janice Carter's presentation. And then in the afternoon, I was able to listen to them more. Um, I actually had to do a Zoom uh, presentation that morning. So I was sitting in my truck uh, with the windows up and uh, doing the Zoom presentation and uh, got that done. With, and then, you know, I had to, had to run my vending booth and uh, get ready for the afternoon presentation there at the event. So um, it all worked out great, but it was very interesting to hear them talk about how they uh, were, um, you know, their experiences, their encounters with these different, you know, different cryptid creatures. Um, Janice Carter grew up basically living, you know, in an area where Bigfoots just, you know, came through the backyard. Um, Ron Moorhead, is known for the samurai chatter. He right. recorded all these different vocalizations. And it's really interesting when you hear these audio recordings of these creatures, you know, um, making these noises because they, they have lots of different vocalizations. But the most interesting is the samurai chatter uh, that they make. I, I probably have a recording of that, but I'm liable to have something else come up. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to check out some of these people that you talked about. Janice sounds like some of her stuff is really interesting. And Ron Moorhead, like you say, with the different um, voices that he's recorded and stuff, depending on the area. I'd like to check that out. Yeah, Ron Moorhead, Ron Moorhead is from Oregon and Janice Carter is from Tennessee, I believe. And you do a samurai chatter. <laughs> I, I can do the samurai chatter. Um, I, I'm just mimicking, you know, those old kung fu movies off of, off of TV. But it, it basically sounds like, and it's just kind of that mumbly. Um, yeah, that's what we call the samurai chatter. Phil Shaw claims he heard one when he was out Bigfoot hunting and something was on the river, he says. It's quite possible. Um, I know there's a lot of investigators who work with him that uh, have had different experiences. Um, I always remember the guy who set up the peanut butter trap and uh, the, the jar of peanut butter was gone. But when he got back to his tent, 
there's peanut butter smeared all over the outside of his tent because the Bigfoot was so mad that the peanut butter got on it that he was just wiping it off on the guy's tent. And I always thought that one was pretty funny. I don't know if you can hear that or not. It's not yep. that loud. Yep, that's the samurai chatter. Oh, I got on repeat, I guess. That's Bobo doing his samurai chatter. Yep. Yeah. Brandon, you're going to have to perfect your uh, samurai chatter, learn how to talk yeah. to Bigfoot. Are you going up for training this year? Yeah, probably in uh, September, probably going up to the UP. And now, like, where you were at, you had a Bigfoot guy there, right? The same Rick, yeah. Rick Meyer? Yeah, Rich. Yeah, Rich uh, Meyer and uh, like Jim Gilmore and like the rest of their group up there, the Upper Peninsula. Mm -hmm. You might remember the rest of it. It's a long name, but um, yeah, oh, group, we were all up there with them. Yeah. Yeah, they got, a, they got one of the longest names. They're trying to challenge grasp. I think so. Yeah. Um, they are <laughs> yeah. Rich was there with us on, at the summit. Dan knows it. Upper Peninsula. Yeah, it's, it's the um, UPBRFO. Yeah. So we, we hope to, they're going to be on the show uh, later on this year. So we hope to talk about that. Anything else you want to cover, Shatan, about uh, Discovery Days, Bigfoot Discovery Days that you were at? Um, only that uh, they are doing another event in September. Uh, unfortunately, I won't be at that one. I will be presenting and hosting the Dewey Lake Monster Conference on September 11th um, down in, is it Dogawaki or Dog, Dog Walk? I know it's, it's by Dewey Lake. I think that's oh, okay. All right, all right. Dewajiak. Dewajiak. These Michigan names. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they're they're tough. That's why I, I applaud you, Shatan, between the Michigan names and these prehistoric names that you have to repeat all the time. Yeah, they're tongue twisters. I think you have to study up a, for that. So Brandon was at the Paranormal Summit put on by Grass. Yeah. Gathering research, and et cetera, et cetera, their name. With yeah. Bill and Connie Jones. Was yeah. friends of Shadan, very good friends with yeah. Shadan also. How did that go, Brandon? That went really well. We kind of had like some meetings to kind of lay the groundwork for like a collaboration. It's like we have a lot of teams all kind of work together towards a you know common goal and kind of create some, you know, some basic outlines so we can all kind of gather research kind of in a similar fashion to, you know, just to make it easier for all of us so that we can help each other out, make it easier and like stuff like that. And then we had, uh, at one point, like Bill and uh, one other guy were down in like the boiler room or whatever. And I ended up getting a picture, like going across of like an arm, like a blue sleeve and like a hand, like across the photo. Um, that wasn't anybody that was there, you know, physically. And oh. then, um, we had like a very interesting Estes session. We were kind of rotating everybody out about every 15 minutes. And we kept kind of going with it, with having different people trying it. Yeah. Some people would get nothing. Other people would have a bunch of stuff. I'll just kind of talk about my personal one kind of going through. Well, before you get into that, explain again, just basically Estes, because even yeah. though we talked about it on the program, it's fairly new, I think, to the yeah. industry. Yeah. So what it is, is it's you're 
most of the time you're using the SB7 sphere box, you're scanning through the stations at a very rapid pace while you're wearing like a blindfold and then um, having like headphones on so you can't hear what the question's being asked. You're basically just saying anything that you're like what you're hearing or whatever. And like sometimes you get stuff off the radio and a lot of times you pick up, you know, if, like different people, I think they start picking up stuff psychically. And I think that's kind of what I had happen. Um, Bill had these cool ones where he took these um, kind of like goggle glasses or whatever for and like paint, in, painted the inside of them black so you couldn't see out of them, but they're much more comfortable to wear and like go over the glasses. So it was like a lot nicer than like a blindfold. But when I was under there doing that, I think I was contacting through to one of the people that was there, kind of contacting like a, coming through. It seemed like a message was coming through for somebody that was there. And I felt like I was also connecting with probably like a sea captain on like a ship because it was, for me, it was the most intense Estes that I've done. And I've had, like, sometimes I've gotten flashes of images, but this one, while I'm under it, like I can see, and like, and like the messages that are coming through that I'm hearing audibly match up with it. As like, I'm seeing the ship going out with like blue skies and then coming upon a storm and the ship end up going down in the storm. Like I can see it all happening while the Estes session is going on. It was almost like being like in a virtual reality kind of like headset kind of thing but i could I, like it was like very very intense so you're on the ship the city of milwaukee yeah yeah you kind of go into a trance when you do this yeah yeah so you're wearing a blindfold so you take th this sense away you can't, yeah you can't physically see but it's like i was just getting these images coming right. through like very vividly it seems to maybe enhance the other senses once yeah. you take that that one sense away. Yeah. How many people, uh, different teams, do you know some of the teams that showed up? Uh, there was uh, Rich's Bigfoot group was up there. And then there was uh, Tammy, uh, the last name is Krasik, I think. I think, it's, I think their team is like otherworldly. So I can't remember exactly what she calls her group or whatever, but I know she was up there as well. She, she works with Rich a lot. So she's part of Rich's group too. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of do paranormal stuff too, um, separately through that other group. So, Tammy Post up there? Uh, no, she was actually over on the, I think the Edison, the USS Edison, I think, um, over in like Bay City, the oh, uh, old, like right. World War II battleship, I think, over there. The yeah, there was, there was over. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that I found out about that like afterwards because a bunch of people were doing a private investigation i'm like oh my god i wanted to go on the Edson, and so yeah. uh after the fact they're like well you know we're going back and we want you to come so i i guess i'm doing it uh in august but uh i guess uh friday last friday night was everybody was up at the edson <laughs> uh yeah. you know doing investigations so yeah. we'll be talking about that when we see you again <laughs> yeah and Right. Yeah. They had that. They featured the gray ghost on one of the episodes of Twilight Zone. I keep waiting to see that episode again. And then, you know, they're showing X-Files in this area again. I don't know if you guys know it, but I've been watching them. They're uh -huh. on every, at Monday through Thursday now. So I'm I'm right there with X-Files. Anything else, Brandon, that stood out for the summit or on the ships? It's largely just kind of that. We did like a lot of Estes sessions, but it was just a lot of fun getting together and stuff. And I'm waiting. I, I'm hoping that the summit, they come up with a library of information where, you know, you guys have said this is the best that there is out there. So we can go to somewhere and check that out. EVPs, like you say, you got some video, which is rare. 
it's rare to get video when you're hunting ghosts or probably when you're hunting Bigfoot too or Dogman. I would mm -hmm. think video, that's it. That's the holy grail. If you can get some of that. Now, okay, well, let's move on then. Chitan, when you were on for our Halloween show, you featured, it was either Merman or Mermaid, one of the others. And then I know you talk about, I think Mermaid's in this book here. Yes. Lake Monsters. So maybe you could give us a little bit of a taste of, uh, of what you presented then at Halloween about, was it Merman or Mermaid? I, don't, I can't remember. It's, it's a Merman and um, the proper name for it is uh, Manitou Nibanibus. Oh, yeah. And he is the god of the lakes. Um, the re report in the story that we have comes from the Lake Superior um, area, and it's up in the Canadian waters. Um, the location is actually Pie Island. And the story goes that French first traders who were making their way around Lake Superior trading with the various Native American groups and other trading posts had come to Pie Island they were going to shelter there, but as they were unloading their canoes, they saw what they thought was a child swimming in the water. And this drew the attention of the Native American woman who was with them, who was helping them negotiate with the tribes that they were encountering. So as they observed this child, she suddenly realizes this isn't a child. This isn't a beaver. This isn't uh, a human being. This is the god of the water, Manitou Nibinibus, and it's a very bad thing to see him. So after deciding that it wasn't a child, the French first traders thought it was a, a, a different type of beaver and they were going to shoot it to harvest the pelt. And she said, no, 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 it's bad enough that we've seen this creature. We need to get as far inland as possible uh, because he's going to send a storm. And so they're, they're like trying to shoot at it. And she finally gets them to stop. By now the creature has swam back underneath the water. And she's like, you get, need to get the canoes onto the beach, fasten them down. And then we need to get in Island as, you know, close to the middle Island as we can, because a storm will come. So she leaves the men to their task. She is hightailing it uh, to the middle of the Island. They get a shelter up there. They're just inside the shelter and the storm comes and it lasts for three days, three nights. And it's one of the worst storms that she has ever seen. And she's telling the fur traders, you know, this is why I told you, don't, you know, don't look at him. Don't wave at him. Don't point a gun at him um, because it's bad enough that, that we saw him, but now he's seen us and he's going to, he wants to destroy us. So, from then on, they, they learn to trust whatever she said, but it said that if you see this half um, brown skinned, half child figure, half fish figure, that it's Manitou Nibinibis, the God of the waters, and you should show him the utmost respect because he can and will send a storm to take you off the face of the earth. Yeah, I love, I love those legends. There, yeah, there's a lot to those. I mean, I mean, they come from somewhere too. It's not going to be all fictional. There's going to be some fact uh, mixed in there with these legends too. And another thing, you brought up Lake Superior, and we talked about it. And we had 
the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald as our intro. Mm -hmm. And it talks about Gichigumi or Lake Superior not giving up her dad. And then you know reasons why that is, why Lake Superior does not give up their dad. So with Lake Superior, we have to take into account her vast depths, which is over a thousand feet of water. Now, when you get that far underneath water, especially in a freshwater situation, the temperatures get Arctic. And I mean cold, refrigerator cold. So when you're in these depths and you're in freshwater and you have that um, cold of a temperature, bodies do not bloat. They do not form gases. There's no bacterias. There's no um, microbes that will aid in the bloating to make a, a body float to the surface. So a lot of wrecks, the Edmund Fitzgerald has human remains around it. So it's off limits. Um, you're not allowed to dive on the Edmund Fitzgerald. It's only marine archeologists who are allowed to go down and survey it. It's a technical dive. So not just anybody can say, hey, uh, let me go down and dive. Um, you know, there, there's a whole lot of paperwork that they have to fill out in order to dive on the Edmund Fitzgerald. Um, the same thing with the SS Kamloops. Um, it still has human remains on it. Uh, it's well known by divers who go down and it's been reported um, by divers who come back up that there is the bodily remains of a, a man um, stuck down on the USS Kamloops. And as they swim through the hole of the ship, um, the wake of them swimming through animates the body. And so it's not bad enough that you're in the sunken ship um, and you're going through um, the surreal setting underneath water of this ship that's resting on the bottom of the lake, but suddenly you're, mm -hmm. you're face to face with a corpse. Yeah. Um, now, because of maritime law, these bodies are not to be brought up because the family members have decided that if they went down with the ship, then that's where they belong. So these bodies will be down there um, until, you know, the end of times. Um, this is their final resting place, which makes it a underwater burial cemetery. And so these sites that have human remains, uh, they're, they're off limits to scuba diving. They are off limits to any type of video recording or, or picture taken because this is a human uh, rest, you know, human burial site. And just like you or I would be very offended if somebody was uh, uh, going and taking pictures of our, our, you know, loved ones as they were sitting in the casket. Um, the same applies here because the ships and the surrounding area is literally the casket of these bodies. And they want them to be shown respect and they want them to be preserved. Um, so the, they really are off limits. There's actually beacons set up around where the Edmund Fitzgerald is. And if you're caught attempting to scuba dive down there, it's a $100,000 fine. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, that's respect the respect the And the, the, these beacons are, will be set off, are set off and the Coast Guard comes flying out there okay. um, because they don't want salvagers. They don't want souvenir collectors. They don't want anybody stealing anything off of these wrecks um, because they think you know they're entitled to it. Um, and besides that, most of the most of the 
uh, artifacts that are worth anything are, are preserved in museums now. Um, the ship's bell is in a museum. There is a memorial bell that they lowered back down, but the Edmund Fitzgerald's bell, bell is actually in a museum. Okay. Yeah, so basically you, you die and go down in a shipwreck in Lake Superior, you're not gonna bloat, you're not gonna decompose and then float. And no. I heard that there were also, there were caves down there. No. Yeah, there, there, there may be, you know, we, we will never know what the lake beds look like because at no point in our lifetime will the Great Lakes ever be shallow enough for that exploration to actually take place. And even modern day, um, it's hard to survey the lake beds anyways, because we have this nuisance creature called the zebra mussels. Right. And as these things die, they create almost a snow-like um uh like substance and uh there's there it's been documented very very uh extensively that divers will go down and they can actually put their their arm an arm deep through this stuff before they're e even touching the 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 bottom of the of the lake so with that kind of debris floating around on on the bottom of the lakes it's very hard for us to ever know what is truly down there or yeah. what's died down there or, you know, um, is rusting on the bottoms. Creepy enough, you're running into corpses and then have this stuff that you say yeah. is three foot thick down there. I want to read right from your Lake Michigan okay. monsters. And it's... Uh, this is from Ironwood, Michigan. A hiker saw two dark humps in the water a few feet apart. He noticed that the humps would submerge and then raise up out of the water. He then noticed a third hump in the water and soon realized that the creature was undulating through the water. It quickly swam through the water and left a noticeable wake in the water. He stated it was as wide as a Volkswagen and resembled an anaconda. That's a big snake or serpent. That is one big monster. And so I, I believe that is, um, they call that creature Pressy and kind of like Nessie or Bessie, um, a spinoff of Loch Ness. But that is the one that they refer to as Pressy. Um, now, the, the one that most people will recognize from Lake Superior is actually in a Bishu, and that's the great underwater panther um, of Native American folklore. And then some kind of relationship with the Thunderbird. It's like, aren't they mortal enemies well, or something? Yes, they are mortal enemies. So what, what I find with a lot of Native American legends is any type of water monster, whether it's a water dragon, a, a underworld spirit, the great underwater panther, great underwater lynx, it is always the mortal enemy of whatever the thunder god is. And most um, legends talk about a thunder bird. Um, some talk just about a thunder god, but they are always mortal enemies. And they, the thunder bird, the thunder god is always trying to control the underwater panther or the water uh, monster and keep them in, you know, uh, suppressed so that they aren't uh, killing the Native Americans who or white settlers who are trying to cross over the surface of the lake to get to the other side. Yeah, I love I love your books. I love this one. I love both of them. But it's like history, too. Yes. The, these 
these go back to the 1700s reports, 1800s, but not just 17 and 1800s, 1978, 1989, mm -hmm. 1990, 1990 again, 1991, 1993, all through the 1900s reports. And yep. who's, who is it that's reporting? Is it drunks? Is it drunken sea captains that, and sailors nope. that are reporting these things? Nope. Who is it? No, it is, it is everyday citizens. It is sober ship captains yeah. and crew. It is police officers, because we know at least on one occasion, um, a sheriff's deputy went out into the Straits of Mackinac to actually observe sea serpents that were swimming around and they dove underwater when he got close to them. So, you know, people from every day walks of life have encountered and experienced these creatures. And the fact that these legends and stories go back to Native American times before white you know, settlers ever came in contact with them and they had stories of these creatures, um, that is proving in, a, in and of itself. But then you add in you know, people who don't wanna be labeled crazy, but you know, they're, they're in fear for their, their you know, friends and family who fish or you know, the, the town itself, so they go, and they report to the magistrate and this means they have to go in front of a judge and they have to give testimony and you know the last thing you want to do is show up drunk to court so no they were not drunk they they were not high on anything yeah. um, it was actually it was very i don't very know what they smoking they're smoking something well it was you know <laughs> that that was grounds for firing back in the day oh, if you okay. were smoking or drinking on one of these ships right. that you were captaining then that was grounds for the owner of the boat to fire you. Yeah, they're, they're as, reputable. And, and seeing as every, every sailor on board was willing to become the second mate or the captain, you know, if you're drinking, then all it takes is you coming into port and them going and telling the owner, hey, Captain so-and-so has been drinking excessively. I can show you where the bottles are hidden. You can smell alcohol in his breath. That fire, you know, that owner is going to come down, fire the captain, and then the second mate becomes the captain, and then the next knowledgeable crew member becomes the second mate, which puts you in control of the ship. Yeah, it means you get paid more, means you get better, you know, uh, your schedule's a little bit better, you get to sleep a little bit more instead of having to break ice off the deck, you know, clean things up, haul lumber, right? Uh, you know, load the load the the steamers. So, you know, it's, if you didn't want to lose your job, then you, you did not drink. So many of the reports were similar to the coloring of them, mm -hmm. uh, the, the serpent uh, shapes. Yeah, very interesting. And there, there has to be something to this. We know, well, you talk about different things in the book. You talk about some pranks, some hoaxes, mm -hmm. uh, some real life monsters that live in these lakes. As a matter of fact, I, we were talking about one that was a, st a sturgeon that was seven foot. Yes. Yeah. You, there was a picture of that that we were sharing back and forth about this sturgeon. They had the guy laying next to it, and the sturgeon yep. was bigger than he was. Yeah. Um, over 100 uh, um, years old, they believed at least seven foot um, long and about 250 pounds. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is Sturgeon are smart fish. They are hard to catch on rod and reel in the first place. So now that she's gone through the process of being hooked, being pulled up from her depths, being manhandled by humans and then set free, 
chances are she is going to be very careful the next time she sees something too good to be true floating past her her snout and, and grabs it if that's the way they caught her um sturgeon are very hard to catch because they have a very bony jaw and most of the time the hooks just pop right back out well, so yeah. they're very hard to catch um because of the of the way their jaws are and and the fact that they have a hard jaw they're not like a shark or a uh uh, salmon or anything like that, where you've got some fleshy part for the hook to, to bite into and, and catch. They, they have almost, sturgeon have almost a beak, um, you know, that you have to kind of snag that hook in and hope it holds. So the chances of her ever being caught on rod and reel again, very, very slim because they learn, um, you know, and this was a catch and release, just to document numbers. Good and point. Then, you know, and a, a mature female like that, um, she's probably going to produce, you know, uh, thousands of more eggs over the next couple of years. So they want to keep that kind of fish in the breeding population. Is that caviar that we eat? Um, I don't think you would want to eat that kind of sturgeon's caviar. Salmon's caviar is pretty good. Um, beluga um, sturgeon. Yeah, uh, different kind. Uh, those, those, that caviar is better, but even those, um, because of the overfishing for the caviar, uh, you know, the, the days of giants of those, that species are gone and they are, they are trying to rebuild it. But because of poachers and, and human consumption, um, this is a species that we probably will see go extinct in our lifetime. Well, yeah. And that's too bad because apparently they're 150 million years old. Mm -hmm. I mean, they go way back. And this one was caught in the Detroit River. Yes. I don't know, probably between Michigan and Canada, I guess. I don't know exactly where the Detroit River runs. Detroit River runs right in between Detroit and, and uh, Windsor. So yeah. uh, it runs right down into from Lake Huron down into Lake Erie. Yeah. And uh, so it, um, it's got Belle Isle in the middle and uh, uh, lots of different opportunities for, you know, uh, weird things to happen. Brandon brought up a fish and then I found the posting on it and sent it to you also, but I can't, I don't know the name of it, but this thing it's was, Oh, say it again. Okay. Yeah. Brandon, you see, I, I sent that to you. Yeah. And they thought it was extinct. Yeah. Well, they thought that back in the seventies, and a, a live specimen was caught, but they weren't able to preserve it very well. So it took about 20 more years before they caught the next species. And they, the, the fishermen who caught it actually documented the area that they caught it from. So then they were able to send marine biologists down and they found a whole living um, uh, school of these coelacanths down there. Well, lo and behold, on the other side of Africa, there is another population of them, but they are genetically different. So marine biologists are actually theorizing that it won't be too long before we find maybe a fourth or a, a third or fourth um, subspecies of the coelacanth. And so this species that we thought was, was you know, in the fossil record and, and dead and gone forever is actually still living. And, but there's not just one version of it, there's two versions of it. And bi biologists are believing that within the next 10 years, 
a third and a fourth um, subspecies will be found of it. Okay. Yeah, like I say, and you talk about these real life monsters, you talk about pranks and hoaxes. You also talk about anomalies that the waves can create where it's like an optical illusion. You think there's something out there, but it's just the wave. You, br you bring that up in the book. You cover, you, in this book, you cover all that stuff. Yep. Yeah, I like that because you're just not saying, well, this is what it is. It's one thing because there are other possibilities. Yes. What these things could yeah. be, but they're, they're still being reported. Um, I guess you could do another book if you wanted to research it for a few more years. <laughs> yeah, I, I might, I might redo that book. Um, oh. I just, I just don't have the time right now because, like I said, I write for six different magazines, and uh, that's quite a bit of writing every week. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I've got book projects on hold. I collect lots of data and research, um, so eventually, maybe I can, I can um, get another couple books out, but. Right now, my focus is writing on the magazines, and that is, uh, man, my, my dreams came true with that job. So right. I, I love that, and um, if that's all I, I, I get to write in a week, then that's that's great by me. Yeah, you wrote an article for WKTV Journal. Was that yeah. one on the Edmund Fitzgerald? That that was in, it was on the Edmund Fitzgerald, but it was also in Remembrance. It was back in November. Um, and on November 11th of every year, it is the National Maritime um, Remembrance Day for all lives lost from maritime disasters. So I always try to do a tribute in some form uh, for lives that have been lost due to maritime tragedies, whether it was the Great Lakes, uh, the oceans, the seas. Um, I always like to pay respects to those who have gone uh, missing in the deep. So I always try to do either a podcast or an article or something of that nature on November 11th of each year in remembrance of people who have, have died on the, on the lakes or in the waters. Yeah, nice, right? Well, we're zooming right along. We probably need to move on to the last part of the show. Okay. And that's uh, upcoming ongoing events. You still have stuff coming up. I know you do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always do. Um, this Saturday, I will be at the Haunted Heights Paracon up in Houghton Lake. Um, I'll be presenting on Lake Monsters up there. So if anybody's interested in hearing me talk about Lake Monsters, come on up. Um, uh, tickets are still available. You can go on my Facebook page and find the links to the event. Um, I'm always doing Zoom presentations for libraries. I um, don't have anything going on this week. Wow. I actually yeah. have, I have Thursday and Friday just to write articles for the magazine. That's fantastic. Um, coming up in June, I will be in Gettysburg, uh, New then New York on the Lake Champlain side, then Vermont on the Lake Champlain side, and then coming back through New York. Pennsylvania, Ohio, along the top of um, the states, along the Lake Erie border, um, back into Michigan. Uh, we'll be doing travel stories um, at various locations, including a couple of haunted bed and breakfasts. And then in July, it is the Bigfoot Conference in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, hosted by the Lost Cryptids Conservancy. 
I will be also teaching at Owens Community College on the paranormal history of the Great Lakes in July. And then in August, cryptozoology of North America. And then we get into September and it's a whole nother ball game because September kind of begins the paranormal uh, conferences, you know, the, that season, uh, even though they go year round, but Halloween season is upon us. So um, just about every weekend in September and October, I will be at a paranormal event presenting. So yeah, you'll be um, back here a couple of times too. And for yeah. Halloween and once before oh, that, yeah. the yeah. Lake Champlain is, is that the pe Pepin or pe Pepe? No, that, no, that is Champ. Champ. That's Champ. a, that's a similar thing to Loch Ness? Yes, it, they believe it's kind of a plesiosaur type creature from what I've seen of eyewitness reports and the statues and, and stuff like that around um, the lake at various points. They believe it's a plesiosaur type creature. But the weird thing is, is they've actually um, different uh, investigative teams have actually recorded underwater a clicking noise, which is usually echolocation used by dolphins. So something in that lake is using echolocation to hunt with, and I'm hoping to get a recording of it for my own evidence. Um, I know at least one of the days I'll be out in my 10 point or 10 and a half foot uh, kayak and with my underwater traps going. So hopefully I can get some video, some audio recordings and uh, have something to show for it. Yeah, we'll be waiting for that report. So I'm going to do a quick shout out to Tanya Sager. She's a spiritual advisor that was on our last show. She's from Ohio. And then shout out to Brandon. He's the one that's doing the formatting. We're still looking for a camera person. Anybody out there in this area wants to get involved with us. And then upcoming for us, we have a friend of yours, Exy Susan Smith. And she's oh, I love her. Excellent. I know. And she's she's an incredible author too. I have a couple of her books here. Um yeah. the, the for her first book, I do not have here, but she wrote Welcome to My Paranormal Life When the Dead Come Calling and Essence of Death. I don't know where she comes up with these titles, but they're enough to make me uh want these books. <laughs> I've read them, I've digested those too. Oh yeah, just like yours. I'm highlighted all through it so yeah i get as much out of these as i can i love them and then um i guess our our final thought we talked about it last time last week but haunted ships versus ghost ships and have you now brandon just came from haunted from ships that were haunted Brandon, are you, so you must be like a devout believer that ships can be haunted, I would guess. Yeah, I think ships can be haunted. <laughs> yeah. And what about ghost ships where you look out onto Lake Michigan or Lake Superior and there's a ghost ship going by? You believe in that too? Yeah, I do. Um, I think a lot of that might be more kind of like a residual. You've seen kind of a residual imprint of the ship that's kind of replaying itself. Okay. All right. Well, you're, you're entitled to believe what you want to believe. I mean, you sounds like you got pictures. Yeah, pictures well, not the ghost ship, but uh, yeah, there was an interesting uh, picture somebody got. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see that too. Yeah. And then now, okay, Shatan, you're like pretty much an authority on. 
so <laughs> there are there are haunted ships, um, as we've seen with the SS City of Milwaukee, the Edson, um, the Queen Mary, you know, over in California. But ghost ships are a different thing. So when you think about it, as a ship is sinking and the crew is abandoning it, they are at the worst point in their life. So all of the emotions that they are spending out, fear, sadness, anger, um, disbelief, frustration, that is all being absorbed by the ship. And before the waves claim it and the sailors, you know, get into those lifeboats, they have lost all hope. And uh, this absorbs into the ship. So under the right situations with the water and the sand, because what is sand? It is micro crystals, yeah. micro quartz crystals. So it all holds that energy. And so I do believe under certain, certain circumstances, when the conditions are, are exactly the same as when the ship sank, I think this does bring forth back the energy of the ship. And the fact that sometimes scuba divers will go down and they're examining these ships and they hear the engines running. There's no way possible that the engines are running on these ships. They've been under the water for a hundred plus years, but they hear the engines running. That tells you that something paranormal is going on. Yeah, I, I agree with you for all those reasons that you cited. It's kind of like a floating Gettysburg where this high emotion and emotion that comes with um, killing another human being. I mean, that's something I hope I never have to experience. Uh, luckily, I missed Vietnam. Uh, but yeah, that kind of thing leaves an imprint in the, the, the water is magical. There's something about water. So yeah, I believe in that. And there's the Flying Dutchman of Lake Superior. If you believe in ghost ships, it's been seen for decades. The Western Reserve, it's a 19th century schooner. There, there's a, the Edmund Fitzgerald has been seen uh, 10 years after the disaster happened. There's a couple others, but yeah, I have to agree. There's, there's something to that and lighthouses too. We didn't mention that, mm -hmm. but lighthouses go along with those ships uh, with the same kind of emotions tied to them. So it's the inspirational thought and then we're done. But this was a great show. I'm glad we could redo this one. So the inspirational thought is a Chinese proverb. It, Life is an echo. What you send out comes back. What you sow, you reap. What you give, you get. What you see in others exists in you. Remember, life is an echo. It always gets back to you. So give goodness. It's a simple message. Um, it's easy to understand, but also I want to send out that same message we've been sending out. And then that's the, if you're suffering from depression right now, a lot of people are, you're considering suicide. There's a national three digit number, 988, that you can call for help. Or if you know somebody that is suffering from bad depression because of all this COVID and losing their jobs, losing their insurance, whatever. 988 gets you in touch with somebody to find help for. Shatan, this is our 44th episode. And Yay. The, yeah. And the angel number 44 stands for hard work and accomplishing goals. I don't know of another person that is out there in this industry that has set out and set their goals and accomplished them more than what you have. 
you're a great example to not only women, to everybody out there who wants to get started. It, it takes hard work, doesn't it, Shatina? Yeah. It takes oh, hard yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah, so, you have to be willing to go places that other people don't want to go, investigate, be called crazy, um, yeah. you know, uh, made fun of. Um, but you know what? Now I get to do what I love in life, and that is write and talk about the things that I'm most passionate about. And other people are, you know, they're stuck in their miserable jobs that, you know, they hate. Right. Um, and I'm actually making a living out of what I love. So to me, um, they always say, you know, if you, if you do what you love, you don't work a day in your life. There you and go. And I'm doing what I love. So yep. therefore, uh, to me, it's, it's, you know, my dreams come true. I love that you're doing it. We'll talk again soon. Yeah. Brandon, thanks a lot. Peace out, everybody. Bye, Brandon. Bye. Bye. The opinions expressed in the preceding program are those of the producer and not necessarily those of WKTV Community Media. Thank you.